0: Hey, what's up? It's Avery here. Well, I guess who else would it be? It is my own show. (laughs) You see, my show is on platforms like iTunes and Spotify. And you may wonder, how do I get my show on these platforms? Well, I do it through an app called Anchor. It's free to download and you can use it on your phone or on your laptop. And it also comes with creation tools that let you edit your show. You can also make that sweet moolah with your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, want to get started? Download the Anchor app on the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store. Or go to anchor.fm. It's that easy. Ladies and gentlemen, what is up, what is up, what is up? Welcome back to Avery Sports Show. My guest this week is a guy who's won't come on for quite some time. It's Mr. Mike Fail from Flames Nation. Mike, how you doing, sir? I'm
1: doing fantastic.
0: That is good to hear. And my good to ask you, of course. I know you're a you're from BC, living in Edmonton, and a Flames fan. How tough is it some days to be a Flames writer living in the great city of Edmonton, big man? <laughs> a great
1: city. I mean, it's chill, like, I feel like the the animosity that once kind of existed here, if you saw a Flames fan um, walking down the street, is kind of gone. So, I haven't had any run-ins with, like, fans or neighbors or anything like that in probably a couple of years.
0: No, that's, that's, that's very true. I know the animosity is turned, it's, it's kind of funny, Edmonton, how the animosity is turned from all the fans, flame fans, to really the entire league against Vancouver. And it's hilarious over the past few seasons. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we can all agree, like, there's a mutual disdain for Vancouver and Vancouver fans, so it's been it's been a little bit easier to kind of unify against one front rather than be divided.
0: No, of course, exactly, exactly. Before we get more into the Calgary Flames, I do want to mention, you're on Twitter in terms of hockey Twitter. You're very well known. You're well-liked. And one thing that you do so well, Mike, for those who don't know, is Photoshop and hockey. And you... What, I I laugh, I cried laughing the first time you photoshopped an image of a Fox Sports broadcast in the exact same font to make fun of Ryan Getzlaf's hair. Like, why do you want to start doing that?
1: <laughs> uh, I think like the biggest thing is there's just a, a big void um, in the I guess in the creative community, um, especially hockey Twitter, like. Fox is really known for like analysis and you know alternative journalism and things like that. And there's that niche little market where you know myself or uh, Wobot, isn't uh, Josh, um, and just like a lot of other really great guys and gals out there who are just making fun stuff. So um, one day I just got I got really bored and I looked up with the fonts and uh, the typeface that Fox Sports uses, and I found out that uh, you could purchase it for forty dollars. And I said, uh, this is the best $40 I'm going to spend all month. <laughs> and uh, it just kind of went from there. And I've seen uh, I've seen people wonder if it's actually legitimate. I've had people that I know that are writers in the Los Angeles area. Um, they're, they've actually spoken with the LA Tink broadcast team. And they've seen some of the, the photoshops I've done. And they've wondered if their broadcast is actually putting that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fooling people who are who are actually running the broadcast. I think I've done a pretty good job.
0: It's really funny. It's funny, because like I said, the Ryan Gessler one, because I was sitting on Twitter watching you tweet up to Fox Sports Arizona, and I was dying. And even funny, Fox Sports Arizona corrected you. You're flustering networks with this kind of stuff, and it's hilarious. Networks are actually like, what the heck's going on here? Who's doing this kind of stuff? It's creative. I'm
1: shocked that they didn't block me for it, because like, I, I started arguing with them. I was like, no, no, it's actually correct. Like, hey, listen, um... Your broadcast is actually wrong. This is actually true. But uh, fortunately they haven't blocked me or changed their typeface yet. I'm kinda of, kinda of worried that they're gonna they're gonna change it up this season, make it maybe something more proprietary that I can't pay forty dollars for, but Uh, whatever happens, happens. I think that I'll just move on to another network to mess with after that.
0: you just go into Google, Mike, and say, and type in Fox Sports font and try and find it somewhere? Is that the process you went through to try and just do that? No,
1: there's, uh, there's lots of, like, websites that, uh, like, what my font is and font squirrel and stuff like that. So you just take, like, a screenshot, like, some text. And sometimes you have to run it through about three or four different websites and get your answer. But it was kind of a collective. I did gloss over the part where while I was searching for it and comparing my results, I had somebody else, a good friend of mine, uh, Aaron, who does a lot of other photoshops with Foxport graphics as well. Um, And we were just DMing back and forth until we found like the right combination. So between using those tools online and then just like a a couple of private conversations uh, with some friends, we figured it out. So he and uh, I think about three other people I know, I've given them the font because I mean, I paid $40 for it, I figured I'd give it out to people who uh, want to put it to good use,
0: so. Well you may as well, even funnier, even funnier than the hockey stuff, I've seen you go on there and photoshop episode of The Simpsons and put in Flames comments on episodes of The Simpsons that date back to 1992. And to me that seemed like pure voodoo, you could go and do that. To an episode of The Simpsons from 25 years ago and put in Flames comments about Josh Juris or Mark Giordano.
1: Yeah, like the, I think that maybe the, like the biggest one was like the Joe Colburn one. I'll be honest, this went probably about 18, 19 hours working on that. Um, I just because when you're dealing with like cartoons and things like that, and, like nine times out of ten, they're not using a typeface; it's all hand drawn, just like anything else would be in like the animated world. So I had to go through and manually build uh, some actual typeface for that kind of for a lot of uh, the simplest ones. So I spent probably about probably ten or eleven hours like straight over the course of a weekend just building up, you know, what you know, what does letter A look like properly if you were to apply it to like the kind of typeface that they would have used in the Simpsons world at that time. So it's, it's a labor of love. Like I spent I probably spent way too much time on this stuff than I should. I could be out, you know, being social or <laughs> making friends or Kissing girls and going on dates or doing something productive, but um, I'm sitting at home in my dark room, you know, at three in the morning, hunched over a computer screen, just trying to align like a, you know, like three or four characters in a, a Photoshop. I think I have a problem.
0: I think you might, and I think well, not just you, but hockey Twitter as a whole has a problem. And it's funny because only in hockey Twitter is it funny. It wouldn't work in basketball Twitter. It wouldn't work in MLB Twitter. Hockey Twitter is such a weird place where that's funny or Bofa is a big thing, or My Wife Left Me, or Harambe jokes forever ever and ever. Hockey Twitter, it's a place where, if you're not a hockey fan, you won't get most of the jokes we have in our small circle.
1: Yeah, I think, and I know I've talked about this a couple times this week, and um, our mutual friend Ian mclaren uh, he has a podcast as well, mm-hmm. and we kind of got into it, um, not in super detail, but just like about the, the kind of closeness and the, the tightness that Hockey Twitter can kind of have. And why, one thing we didn't get to was kind of like the, the inside jokes. Like when you really think about the community that we're a part of um, and, you know, the friendships we made, for example, like you and I becoming friends over the last couple of years uh, and all these little in-jokes that if you try to explain it to somebody else who might be in like a, a different subculture of Twitter or Facebook or a different sport, they're not really going to get it. And it's kind of neat, like from a, a societal standpoint. And like a cultural standpoint, it's really neat seeing that. I mean, there's always uh, the negative sides of these like communities and conversations, and you know that sort of stuff. But the one thing that kind of is the silver lining to all of it is you can get all of these wonderful people who all come from different backgrounds and all you know all kinds of different creative backgrounds or different, just different perspectives, and kind of come up with these weird things that you know. Most of us find funny in the community and it kind of sticks around for, you know, three or four years. So it's, it's really fulfilling in that regard.
0: Poggy Twitter it's changing because people are now getting jobs of this. You've seen people who are getting jobs doing gifts or jobs doing articles. The way media is working now, you're not just getting hired by a resume or a cover letter. You're getting hired by doing good work, say, for example, in, like I said, gifts or funny articles online because you're a member of Flames Nation and you got started in matchsticks and gasoline, which is kind of cool to see people in hockey Twitter getting jobs who may not be traditionally media people in the world of sports.
1: Yeah, like the the kind of shift for me from being just like a a, getting a little artifact when you said there, but like the kind of shift for me, like I guess over the last few years, like going from matchsticks and gasoline where like I was kind of, I, I mean, I guess I was like an associate editor, like it was just myself and Ari and over for pretty much most of 2014-15, but before I brought in like most of the staff, um, yeah, like that shift from being a blogger and then uh, Thomas Drance, who works at the Nation Network now, just messaging me one day saying, hey, we want you to be our community manager and do like all our social media and do kind of do that that thing that you're so, I guess, noted, noted for, which is just being myself, I guess. But taking that and then kind of making it a full-time job on the side and, you know, Going to conferences with other writers and people are like, "Oh my god, it's so great to meet you!" And I'm just like, "Okay, like I'm just being myself here." But uh, you know, working and collaborating with so many great minds, and then um, the other side of it is is actually kind of exploring the possibilities of doing this for a full time job, which I had never really thought of. You know, because uh, you know I, I have a really great job outside of what I do. You know, on Twitter and. I get, I get rewarded very nicely every couple of weeks with a really good paycheck, but I've started actually branching out at work and seeing what other options are there for, you know, what I'm doing in my spare time now, and, you know, I applied, I think I applied on a couple of social media jobs w- with NHL teams recently, and, We'll see what happens with that, but I, I don't really think it's going to go too far, but it's kind of cool that maybe maybe it's something I could go down in the future.
0: No, of course. It'd be. I mean, a community manager, you know, you're doing your own articles, you're watching the people. Have you ever thought about someday thinking, man, with Flames content on, on SB Nation, Mike, it's not easy.
1: Yeah, I think, like, the, the biggest hurdle that I run into is kind of keeping... Uh, it's, it's hard because, like, I have a reputation for kind of... Like oh, like I guess walking a very thin line. Like I can make a, I can make some kind of questionable jokes that get by. Like obviously they're not sexist or misogynist or right. you know racially based, but they're kind of like those jokes. Like if an official count puts them out, like it's kind of questionable. And so the biggest hurdle I run into is kind of keeping that that clean humor or. I I guess I can't be super, super condescending if somebody, you know, tweets at the Flames Nation uh, Twitter account. I can't just, like, respond and, you know, kind of be a a dick about it. But uh, it's kind of finding that balance, which is, it kind of takes up a lot of my time, so
0: of course people listening we'll talk more hockey in a second year, but I do want to leave off the twitter stuff I do want to start on this point it's it is I mentioned earlier it is Bofa and something that got you what a thousand retweets and a thousand likes it was your mini situation with comedian and ex mad tv character Aries Spears <laughs> I guess he was being a real goof on twitter towards women and you told I think you said Bofa agrees with you and he asked, what is Bofa? And the best part was people replying to that saying, oh, no, because he knew it was coming. And if you don't know what Bofa is, Bofa's an old joke referring to Bofa these nuts. And being Airy Spears, you thought he would have known what was coming up. But he walked right into you, trolling him with Bofa, and it was hilarious. You were on Complex for that, Mike, which was even greater.
1: Yeah, one of those times where like my coworkers come up to me who kind of are unaware of what I've been doing for the last few years in the in the Twitter world and they're like, hey, did you actually do this or hey, is this actually you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did this at work yesterday and they're like, what do you mean you did it at work? I'm like, well, I was on my lunch break and RE spirits of being really misogynistic and being, you know, really vulgar. and. It's one of those things where, like, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it on a good day. I I was actually having a pretty bad day at work, too. So I was just like, okay, let me see what I can do with this schmuck. Like, what's his career been like over the last years? And I looked him up. I was like, well, he's he's like a nobody now, basically. And I was like, okay, let me see what I can do here. And Sure enough, he walked right into it. It's like one of those situations where, like, kind of looking back on it, I'm like, Wow. Somebody wrote an article about me making, like, me owning a celebrity, but at the same time, like, how sad is it that he kind of walked into it, and, I don't know, it was a good laugh for a few days, and every now and then, I get a few more retweets, and or somebody will come up to me like, Hey, I just saw this article, like, randomly. It's about you. It's like, oh yeah, this happened, you know, a few months ago. And they're like, holy crap, it's pretty cool.
0: Your phone must have just blown up with, like I mentioned, it was about a thousand retweets and a thousand likes. Your phone must have frozen or something. I couldn't imagine that on my phone, <clears throat> those notifications coming in.
1: Yeah, I, I actually just haven't all Twitter for the day off my phone. I was like, <laughs> I was waiting for, like, a really important phone call to from somebody. And it just kept going on and on. And it was, like, killing my battery. And <laughs> <laughs> Have a bad day, it's just just gonna uninstall it. I installed like I reinstalled a few days later after it kind of died down. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's one of those things. Like I guess, like thirty years from now, when I'm an old, a crotchety old man, I'd be like, "Hey, let me tell you about the time I dunked on this d-list celebrity." <laughs> it'll, it'll be shining
0: moments in the field household in 2055, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, with my uh, my grandchildren and my large adult sons uh, all gathered around the heart as I regale them with tales of my uh, my youth.
0: <laughs> that is incredible. That kills me. And of course, Mike going, moving on to your, your hockey team, the Calgary Flames. 2015-2016 was a year of regression after being a playoff team in 14-15. They dropped by 20 points. It cost Paul Harley their job. There were some good things in this team though. Sean Monahan, 27 goal season. Johnny Goodrow, 30 goal season. Margio Dano played all 20, 82 games and 21 goal year. Even though you guys regressed, there's still a lot of positive things to take away from this team last year in 15-16, Mike.
1: I mean, 2015-2016 a weird year. Yes, you know, Johnny Pedro had a, a career year, and Sean Meyerham had a pretty good season, and so did Mark Giordano for a lot of things. But um, like you were saying, like, Bob Harley got fired, and mm-hmm. it was a byproduct of them riding percentages and riding a lot of luck in 2014-15. You know, we've, we've discussed it. It's been a topic of great length. You know, they were another year of PDO hockey where... In years past, you know, the Colorado Avalanche and the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Minnesota Wild, you know, they did similar things and unfortunately years after they saw, you know, similar results or regressions and, but along with that, like last season, there were, you know, obviously some hidden gems there, like Michael Backlund had a career year, he was healthy for the, I think the first, like the first full season of his career and, you know, was, you know, same age as us now and, uh, they brought in Michael Furley and outside of his injuries he had an, an incredible year, if you want to look at it statistically, even though you no know, counting stats weren't great. And you have a few other guys out there like Jakob McLittle, who's uh, currently, you know, a US, uh, sorry, RFA, but we're hoping to see him resign soon. You know, he had a really great showing in a few games and they also, you know, brought in Hunter Shinkaric, you know, in his limited sample after getting acquired, mm-hmm. and he had a pretty good showing at the close of the season, so I don't know, like, on one hand, you can look at the, the overall results and say, man, the team really regressed poorly, and they weren't the greatest, but if you look a little bit closer, there's a
0: lot of really great stories there, and hopefully a lot of that can carry over to this fall. Of course, I agree as well. One thing you know, that the, when I heard the Flames, of was course, was the goaltending. It was a bit of a carousel in net. You had Kerry Ramo, Yoni Arito, Nicholas Backstrom, Jonas Hiller. Do you feel more confident now the tandem of Chad Johnson and Brian Elliott? Because if I'm a Flames fan, I feel way more confident in those two in net than the four-headed monster of Ramo, Arito, Backstrom, and Hiller from last season.
1: Totally, and I, that's it's honestly my favorite part about the Oscars so far, um, is going out and seeing the Flames acquire a Brian Elliott. He's among the elite in the league, whether you want to believe it or not. He, he truly is. He's one of those top like, goaltenders, and he's, he's on a really great, reasonable contract uh, for one more year, and then he'll be uh, at USA. And then they brought in Chad Johnson, who's a a fantastic, you know, backup who can play, you know, 20 to 30 games a year. And he's going to give you decent goaltending. And um, it's like you're saying, the the four-headed monster that they rode last season. Um, And not only that, but they started the season with three goaltenders. And one of the bigger problems was consistency. Uh, Yoni Ordeo was nowhere close to actually being a backup goaltender in the league. He's more of a, a barely replacement level guy. And Kari Ramo. I mean, he's never been a stellar goaltender. And, of course, he went down with uh, the season-ending injury. And uh, Jonas Hiller played. He played terribly. And (laughs) now he's back in in Europe. And Nicholas Backstrom, you know, they acquired him at the deadline just to give him some playing time to close out his career in the NHL. And now he's back in Europe. And it's it's a complete 360. uh, Actually, it's more like a 720 compared to where they were, you know, a year ago expecting to you know, get a, at least another season of okay goaltending from uh, Ramo and Killer, and it, it's I'm kind of nervous because I feel like a lot of fans are going to be expecting instant, you know, improvement, but the minute, you know, Elliot or Johnson has a bad game, I, I feel like the, the fan base might have a few problems with it, but for me personally, like, it, I can't wait for October, I can't wait to see those guys play, you know, all 82
0: games hopefully this season, and hopefully make the team the team a lot better than that. It was always weird, in career, he'd play 74, 75 games, 70 games a year, and I always wondered, man, is there no plan for Calgary once he retires? And for a few seasons afterwards, it didn't appear that there was one, Mike.
1: Yeah, I, I think it speaks a lot to the, the previous regimes, where they, like, the biggest thing that fans have to remember, and a lot of hockey fans have to remember, is that the Flames teams, of uh, the late 2000s, um, so far, like probably after 2007, probably 2007, 2008, they were bubble teams and they ended up not making the playoffs, and or they bowing out in the first round. It, and it, it spoke a lot to their their inability to, you know, build up stop gaps. Like forgetting it, they weren't able to find the next goaltender to take over for Kipper, and they kept playing him, you know, 70 plus games a year. Which, I mean, he was a workforce and he was conditioned to do it, but you could have maybe prolonged his play a little bit more by having a guy that could play, you know, more than 10 or, 10 or 12 games a season. They brought in, and actually to go with that, the guys that they were playing behind Kipersov as a backup were, they were barely NHL goaltenders to be backups. You know, Henry Carlton, also known as the Calgary Tower, because he was so tall, he just, mm-hmm. he wasn't that great. in then, after Sof, uh subsequently retired, they brought in like a Joey, was like Joey McDonald. Yeah, Joey McDonald. McDonald. I think, I think at one point like very Rush was going to play, and all of these guys who are over in the KHL or Europe are no longer playing, and um, it was just kind of it was such a gong show that now you look at what the, the Calgary Flames have in their system, and, and net right now, like at the NHL level, they're set. At the AHL level, they've got John Gillies. You know, he's one of the best goalie prospects in you know the world right now. They've got David Riddick, who they signed earlier this offseason from the Czech League, and. Uh, going from there they've got Mason McDonald and recently drafted Tyler Parsons who was on the London Knicks Memorial Cup winning team and he's projecting to be a really great goaltender and so they're again like it's a it's just overwhelming to believe that this is you know an era of Calgary Flames hockey where the system is set up really nicely and the NHL team is set up really nicely and I can't, I can't wait to see what the team is going to be like in, you know, four or five years with these goal-tending, player, uh, goaltending prospects to see if, you know, they make the jump or if some of them probably won't, but it's pretty exciting.
0: It should be. You no. Know, yeah, the pipeline is very deep right now, for us in his offseason. We mentioned Bob Hartley firing, and they bring in Glenn Goldson, who was the Dallas' head coach for a few years. And it's funny, Mike. I called him being named head coach or being in the mix, and no one gave me credit. A month before that, no one said, hey, hey, recall Goldson being the new Flames head coach. I was kind of salty about that, but whatever. But <laughs> he's the new head coach in Calgary. You know, he had modern success in Dallas. He didn't do too bad. He's been, some, he's, he's been a mildly guy for quite a long time. What are your thoughts on him getting his second NHL coaching gig with Calgary now, Mike?
1: I think I think he said the right things. I think at the, the press conference when he was introduced, he said all the things that fans um, and writers that Flames Nation have kind of been fighting for, which is. We want a team that can play a possession game in a sense of we want them to be on, you know, a 50% plus core 4 team as even strength as possible. I think getting at least to that point, you know, they were kind of trending that way at times a little bit last season. They still weren't. But playing a brand of hockey where you're not on your own end all the time and you can transition properly between offense and defense and defense to offense, um, stronger in the neutral zone and uh kind of do those things that a lot of coaches are transitioning to or should be transitioning to in this current NHL. And with that, he also brought along an old friend of his which was Paul Girard. Uh He was the assistant coach in Utica of mm-hmm. the Vancouver Canucks AHL affiliate. He's going to be handling the, uh, the penalty kill, which I'm really excited about because he was uh, a bit of a guru at the AHL level with getting uh, pretty great results from uh, the Utica comments in the penalty kill. Uh, so I think between them, and, you know, the existing coaching staff that stuck around because uh, the Flames said, not only did they let go uh, Hartley, they also let go his associate, which was uh, Jacques Cloutier, uh who's been with Hartley quite a long time. And I think the balance between those two that were brought in, you know, um, Gallatin and Girard are going to be a big factor. And I think along with that, if they can get the perfect blend of player, uh, player usage and utilization, which was a huge problem during Hartley's tenure, he, uh, He tended to avoid at times, you know, a lot of guys that were, I guess, focal point in driving play, like a Michael Backlund, um, for the the season, and of course the team slumped around it, and then when you saw like a guy like Michael Backlund or Josh Jarris and other guys who can drive play, get a bit more time, you saw the the play of the team in group, and um, he would, you know, I could go on about player usage, it's been such a, a hot topic in the Flames community, but I can't... I can't wait for the season to start, and I'm, I'm hesitant to buy into what Gullis is saying until I see the results myself. Uh, if he gets the results, then I'll be happy. I mean, if he doesn't, and he starts kind of meandering into the, the Hartley usage territory, <laughs> then maybe maybe there's a problem elsewhere in the organization, but we'll
0: see what happens. Sixteen, seventeen, Edmonton-Calgary, first game of the year at Rogers Place. There's a new hope for both teams. For the first time in quite some time, you've seen the hope in both Edmonton and Calgary. People are expecting big things. And the Battle of Alberta, how cool am I to see Battle of Alberta once again be a a matchup that you wanna see, that you wanna go to, because it was a span from about 07 to 2013 where it was really an irrelevant matchup. But now we have Monaghan, Bennett, Goudreau, you have McDavid, Edmonton with good goaltending now. It's something I want to see and the whole league should be interested in.
1: Yeah, I went to my first Battle of Alberta. I actually, in that time, you mentioned, I think it was 20, 2012. Hmm. And it was right after, the, I think it was the day that J-Bo got traded. And um, I watched the Flames get blown out in uh, Rexall. I think it was like a 7-2 game. It was pretty bad. But I ended up going to, I think, three or four Battle of Alberta since then. And each one, the Flames have be kind of either one or pretty much... Dominated at periods like uh, the, I think it was like an eight-one game, which Matt, uh, which Curtis Glencross, former Flames, scored a hat trick. Hat trick in. I recall but, that. <laughs> where I saw Michael Michael Frohlich score a uh, hat trick at the, the Halloween game this past season, and like you're right, it was kind of irrelevant. You you either saw the Flames dominate for the most part, or you saw a big wild blowouts from either team. that mm. just, it made no sense, and the balance that you were getting out there, you know, each team has so much firepower and youth in the lineup now, and both teams have the right goaltending, and the Flames have, you know, arguably a better defensive core, and the Oilers are kind of hopefully turning that way. We'll see. I mean, Adam Larson isn't, you know, he's not going to be a world breaker by the looks of it, but they still got, you know, the future Oscar Oscar Kleffbaum, and if Darnold Nurse can actually get a stride this season and improve from, you know, his... I don't want to say disastrous play last season, but it was quite substandard so from what I would watch uh, in Oilers games, and they got Andre Secura in the second unit, Brandon Davidson, who I really like. So, if both teams can kind of get that pacing and that improvement overall, the Battle of Alberta is going to be back to where it was. Hopefully, maybe in a modern take of you know, what
0: it was like in the 80s, hopefully. Oh, exactly, and you mentioned the 80s, you know, and not just the fact that it was a physical matchup, but you look at the game, look at how good 480s hockey was. MD Calgary 30 years ago was always a 5-4, 4-3 game. It was all intense of Mike Vernon versus Grant Fear. I mean, you saw these teams in the playoffs eventually, but yeah, it would be nice to see these teams next year having great battles, and you mentioned Darnell Nurse. He's a guy who felt that... You could see he was struggling some days in the league and if so, you know, I wouldn't be opposed seeing Darnell maybe spend a little bit of time this year in Bakersfield. I doubt it though, but I wouldn't mind it. Yeah,
1: I think like he's kind of in the same vein of maybe like, a, I don't want to put him in, the, I don't want to say that he's like the exact same skill set and skill level as like Oliver Shillington or Erasmus Anderson, uh, both mm-hmm. probably the two best defensive prospects in the fringe organization, but uh, there, are, he's a guy that the Oilers are going to try and lane on this season. and. Uh, he's a guy that they, they have big plans for. Just like the Flames uh-huh. have for Shillington, and I understand their yes. respects. But if I, I, I kind of agree all season that maybe he shouldn't have been in the NHL, or if he was in the NHL, he should have had his minutes incredibly you know managed and sheltered, and playing on the second penalty power play unit, probably the third pairing all season would have been better for him. But if I'm not mistaken, he did struggle in that regard too. Um, I think it's just going to come with time. Like I mean, he's got the tools. From what I've seen, you put the size. He can skate so brilliantly. He can carry the puck. Uh, he's got a really great shot. It's just you know finding the right you know the right balance of you know seasoning in the AHL with you know maybe the right partner at the NHL level or the right usage to kind of facilitate that growth. And he's the kind of guy that you know if he really takes a step forward, like the the Oilers blue line is going to look better than you know what they're projecting. Obviously, the loss of Taylor Hall, which is a bummer. Like, not only for Oilers fans, but, I mean, it's a bummer for me because I'm a huge Taylor Hall fan, but um, getting Adam Larson, who appears to be a decent uh, suppression guy, it might help them out. I don't think that they're going to have world-breaking, you know, I guess, like, results, but I think maybe if Oscar Clefbalm is back to 100%, you could really see them take a step forward, um, especially with a, 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 obviously a healthy Conor McDavid who I figure will probably be like in the top three or four in scoring this coming season.
0: Watching him in the 45 games he played, you already saw by game eight he was the lead player. Which is nuts because there's usually for an 18 year old, there's a step of, you know, okay, he'll need some time. No, he came in, game eight, there he is. And what was the moment for me was watching him against the game where Empton was down 3-zip against Montreal. And McDavid strips PK Subban. This is a rookie. That to me shows that this kid is going to be special if he's playing top line minutes. It's scary to see how good this kid is after being, after only playing half a season. I don't know where he's going to be in year five or six, but he could be on the level of, of Ovi or, or Crosby. No doubt in my mind, Mike.
1: I love him. And I know a lot of fans you are probably going to listen to this and be like, Mike, how dare you? <laughs> I I, you can't not love. You can't not love McDavid. No, honestly, like from a ho- for, purely from a hockey standpoint, even though like I identify as a Flames fan, I've been a Flames fan my entire life. Like he's just one of those talents that like you just have to stop and watch him. And any time this past season where he was playing like and healthy, and I could get you know free ticket or cheap tickets to a game, like I would try and go because how like you just have to watch him play. He plays at such a high level. and, Everybody talks about, you know, his overall talent, but it's I honestly feel like it's like that, that term, you know, hockey IQ, how fast he's thinking. He thinks on such a different level, and he's thinking three or four seconds ahead of a lot of players, and if you find the right blend of players, you can play at that level with him, both on the blue line and both on his wings. Like, the Oilers are going to be pretty daunting and pretty scary with him, you know, growing and developing as a player, especially, like you're saying, if he gets a to top-line minutes.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: I, I, Still feel like, you know, he probably will be among the best players in the league next season. Um, all it's going to take is one of those games where, you know, he just single-handedly does it again, and everybody will start paying attention even further. So I think people are more, more or less sick of the narrative, like, oh, Connor McDavid highlight. I mean, it was no different than when Crosby got into the league, right? Exactly. Everybody stopped and looked at every highlight that came out of every game of Crosby because what he was doing at the time was so completely different than what was in the league. So he's a benefit to the NHL, he's a benefit to hockey worldwide and I can't wait to see what he can even next season. No,
0: hopefully I could
1: just do it against the Flames spot. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully he's a world breaker against all other twenty uh, twenty eight
0: teams. Well we saw him against Toronto put a five point night and seeing Least Nation and just shocked made me smile all night long. And that was a great game to watch Mike <laughs> No, it wasn't. Of course, no. Calgary did their own Dynamo. They drafted this year in the first round, and Matthew Kachuk. And, you know, I went to Red Deer with some buddies to watch a M-Cup game. I went down to watch London just hammer Brandon 10-1. Watching Matthew Kachuk in the wing, if he is anywhere near his dad, you guys are going to be in for a big-time treat, Mike.
1: Yeah, I grew grew up loving, like, watching Keith Kachuk as a player. Like, he wasn't, like, my favorite player to watch, but when... Obviously, like when he played for Phoenix, and you know when he was younger and still has his prime, like mm-hmm. watching him as a power forward was really exciting because he was still in that era of you know '90s trap hockey, and he was still a pretty prominent force out there. If my memory serves correct, and he's Matthew Pacheco in its own right, just. I've seen at the junior level and obviously watching the Memorial Cup really closely because you wanted to kind of get an idea this is the kind of player that might end up on a next roster he's the right skill set for where this team is being crafted around he looks like he's going to be a guy that might be strong on you know those tough to play in areas he's going to he's going to go to the net which is you know where a large portion of the goals are scored and he's going to be the right kind of player to play on the wing with Sam Bennett who kind of plays that other hard nosed style and even in the OHL during Bennett's tenure, he was kind of known for being uh, a bit of a, a shit disturber. <laughs> to put it bluntly, and that's what Matthew Tkachuk is. Like he's going to be the guy going around after you know whistles, making it difficult. And when the play is on the ice, he's going to be going up and down the ice, you know, at full speed and trying to do his best to you know put the puck in the net or at least you know drive play. I think if he sticks after, you know, the first nine games, because I, I would be
0: foolish for the points not to give him a nine-game nine trial at the beginning of the season. No. Um, I strongly believe that if he
1: makes a team, he's the perfect winger to play long-term with San And it, it doesn't really matter who else you put out there in that wing. I think between those two, they could be a really great one-two punch and maybe the, you know, maybe the best option outside of, you know, Monaghan and Gaudreau, so you have that, that sweet complementary group.
0: No, of course. And you know what? That's a great death was a great pick by Brad Living, who I met and he's such a such a nice dude to talk to Brad Living. And you know, it's funny just seeing how the management has gone from night and day from JC to the Brad Living.
1: it's hard for me to just because I feel like I've got PTSD to some degree about previous regimes, like you look back in the 90s and the Flames management group, which was really, you know, splintered and the mm-hmm. results weren't there and they were doing a lot of wrong things. And then you move into the, the, the early 2000s and the, the rise of, you know, Daryl Sutter going into management and then yep. the Jay Feaster regime. And then you kind of get hesitant, but then the entire time, for the most part, outside of, you know, a few mistakes here and there, so living's pretty much done everything that you could ask for. You know, he so went out and every, you know, so two off seasons in a row. Now he went out and fixed problems last season. Um, you know, last year when he went out and got Dougie Hamilton for basically pennies. You know, the, the picks that he gave up might not have actually become anything given the players that were drafted. And this season he got the goaltending help that we so desperately needed to see uh, in Calgary. And he's changed the way that the Flames are drafting. Last season they, you know, they made the right choices, making some draft picks uh, in later rounds with uh, the aforementioned Shillington and Anderson leading the way and then they went out and got Andrew Ma- uh a really undersized uh, forward from the OHL, plays in Barry, and puts up just obscene numbers and uh, drew some comparisons to Johnny Gaudreau at times and then this year they went out and got Kachuk, then they went out and got uh, Tyler Parsons from mm-hmm. London Knights, they went out and uh, got Matthew Phillips, another undersized forward who's really exciting and also do some uh, comparisons and it's just year after year, even though, you know, he's made the, the mistakes, you know, made the Brower extension, sorry, the Brower signing wasn't that great, he ended up losing Paul Byron on waivers, you know, unfortunately they let Josh Jarris walk, because um, they couldn't reach a contract in time this summer. Um, you know, just a few mistakes here and there. I think he's uh, done a pretty great job, and he's kind of started rebuilding my faith in what a decent management team can do, and he gets a lot of credit for it, but I think Obviously, there's a supporting cast with him that are helping him make some pretty good decisions,
0: too. No, of course, they really are. And before I let you go, Mike, I do want to ask you about a management group from one management group that's competent to one that's just kind of silly right now, the Colorado, the Colorado Avalanche and your boy Patrick Waugh. This is a team where it's an old boys club. I know you on Twitter, you've expressed your love for Patrick Waugh before on Twitter, wink, wink. And now he quits as the VP and head coach. And that's... To me it's very strange and now I just really want to see Mike Patrick Waugh in Montreal because that'll be a glorious train wreck.
1: Yeah. I mean Michelle Therrien is no coach to, you know, write a love letter about. We I think we've all shared thoughts about him being among the, the worst coaches in the NHL, probably one of the worst coaches in like the last decade. Um, to him go him leaving Colorado is a blessing for that organization. Um, they're going to get hopefully a head coach who knows how to coach correctly and <laughs> coach efficiently at the NHL level, and get you know better player usage and better results. than what Wall was driving uh, from the management perspective in Colorado, Gozacky seems to be writing a lot of wrongs that were going on in that organization. And you know, he brought in some more people to. I believe he brought in a staff consultant as well to help with shifting. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche to a more modern and progressive organization to help get the most out of what they've got there um, so it makes the Western Conference with Patrick Wall leaving just on its own right so much more difficult because theoretically whoever they bring in will likely be better than him so it's going to make it difficult for you know the Oilers and the Flames and then the other probable, probable bubble teams that they're vying for a playoff spot because now if the Avalanche get the right guy, if they get the results you know, with their forward group, they might actually be a, a decent team again I mean, the blue line isn't the best. Um, they still got Tyson Berry, you know, mm-hmm. who who could have likely been uh, Edmonton Oiler if Patrick Waugh had his way. Yeah. Um, but if if we got Patrick Waugh in, in Montreal at any point, I, I say we go out for dinner next time you're here at Edmonton, and we go <laughs> celebrate because we, you know it's going to be like the best hockey to come out of Montreal in some time.
0: Oh my gosh, like that's just that's that's such a weird market where you know I'm sure PK. PK, but I'm sure he was dancing when he heard he was dealt out of Montreal to Nashville. You saw him in the bars in Nashville enjoying himself. He was at Birdstone Arena celebrating with fans. Like, PK, he probably was just so glad to get out of Montreal because that organization is in such disarray and it's such a sham. I kind of feel bad for Shea Weber in a way now. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, and no disrespect to Shea Weber, but no. I mean, there's obviously the discussion immediately with Shea Weber, who's not that great, he's not elite. Um, you know, Mark Dumont at uh, Habs' Eyes on the Prize, he's done a fantastic summer series on analyzing Shea Weber's play. And anybody who says that, oh, it's just stats-driven, doesn't know Mark. He's rewatched every, I think it was every game this season for the Predators, and he's broken it down into, I think, three or four sections, being offense, defense, and uh, some other areas of Shea Weber's game, to say, you know, okay, Shea Weber isn't a world-breaker, like he's being heralded as, you know, he's not moving the puck like, P.K. Subban or an Eric Carlson or a Drew Doughty or, you know, anybody like that. But he's doing a lot of good things that might be helpful, but his skill set and who he's likely going to play with, which is, uh, I think it's probably going to be Andre Markov. And Andre Markovs still a decent defenseman, but he's nowhere where he was in his youth, uh, at least younger days, uh, it's going to be a problem. And with the Predators getting P.K. Subban, like you're saying, it's, the, it's like you couldn't ask for a better situation to give the Predators, like, the right personality and the right type of player to play on that blue line, which still is already pretty scary. Like, they already had a Roman Yossi and a Ryan Ellison and the Eckholm, but now they have P.K. van in there too, right? Like, their top four is just, like, unbearably difficult to play against. So that element alone also added uh, a, a little bit of, I guess, pressure to the Western Conference, which is kind of, it's basically the... Par with the NBA's Western Conference now. It's just scary to gauntlet.
0: Mike, before I let you go, what's coming up on Flames Nation?
1: Uh, we're doing our summer series on the top twenty prospects right now. Um, we I think we're on prospect number fourteen or thirteen now. Um, so that's going to run for the rest of August. Um, we're just kind of gearing up for the regular season and the preseason and the World Cup. Uh, we are. More or less we've been working on a lot of uh, social media s- initiatives and some uh, new merchandising designs and um, just stuff like that. I've got some penalty kill stuff coming up soon, hopefully, once I finish it up. Um, we're, obviously, we're stay, kind of staying glued to the site. We're doing extensive coverage whenever more news comes out about uh, Calgary Next, the big arena project, mm-hmm. which is dividing a lot of the city and uh, making it difficult for a lot of people because there's a lot of money that's being thrown around potentially to this and making people
0: uncomfortable that is true that's very true mike it's been a blast having you on dude we got to do it again sometime, some time buddy
1: dude thank you for having me on you know i love you <laughs> i want you to succeed in life and likewise I, the show. I listen every time you have a new episode so
0: thank you buddy appreciate that mike